Good morning, church. Let's, let's go to God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us. You are the only one worthy of all of our praises. There is nothing else and no one else that compares to you. As you move and as you speak, may our eyes and our ears, our hands and our feet, our minds and our hearts be sensitive to what you are saying, Spirit of God. And in the name of Jesus, may we hope and live for something more than the innocence of Eden. May we live for the deep, transformative work of your name, Jesus, through your life, your body, your death, and resurrection. And may that transformation in me, in us, stop people dead in their tracks to see you, Jesus. All this I pray in your name. Amen. I'd like to take a moment. The Spirit reminded me today um, that there are four generations tuning in to this sermon right now. We have Mommy C in the back. She's here every Sunday. My parents and my in-laws, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, they are here today. Your parents are probably here today. Many of you are my peers, and you're here today. And then the youth, the children in these rooms, my little niece, Sonnet, tuning at home. Uh, Auntie loves you, Sonnet. We have four generations tuning in right now. That is the hope, the healing, and the growth that God desires is across all of these generations. I am the oldest daughter of seven children. In the Hmong world, that means there were many times that I felt like a third parent in the home or in the car. Uh, with that said, I definitely felt entitled to correcting and helping my younger siblings, especially my two younger sisters, Poa and Joa. And that seemed to work okay when we were kids. However, I learned again, slowly and painfully, that it didn't work well as adults. You see, as grown-ups, I noticed that when I asserted my thoughts and opinions, my correcting felt condescending, and my helping felt humiliating. And that wasn't the worst of it. When they eventually shared how hurtful or humiliating I was, I would explain my rights as an older sister and also why I'm right. And all that lecturing justified my actions. Eventually, with many she did not just hang up on me moments, because there were moments of that. 
God humbled my heart to hear my sister's pain, and I had to apologize. I might have been deserving of those hang-ups. Thank you, Ponjoa. I've learned, and I'm still learning, that when I am more focused on being right, there's only room for winning, which means I'm choosing me instead of my relationship with God or my sisters. How about you? Do you prioritize being right or being in right relationship? With God, your family, friends, co-workers? Here's the point I want you to remember today. Being in right relationship is more important than being right. Being in right relationship is more important than being right. Let's look to see what the Bible says about this. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. We'll be reading in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 16. The book of Daniel starts after the fall of Jerusalem. Daniel was a young man at the time, and he was carried off to Babylon as a slave, and then trained by the king for three years in leadership. Now, part of that training included a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Let's read what Daniel verse 8 says. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who, was who has assigned your food and drink why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Now, at first glance, this passage seems to be about food laws, which is true, but it's incomplete. So what is this passage about? I believe these verses that we're about to read highlight two of Daniel's relationships. The first, Daniel's relationship with God. And the second, Daniel's relationship with people. Right away, we are introduced to the first relationship, Daniel and God. In verse 8, it says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, meaning that Daniel was determined to resist the meat and the wine served to him. But why? You see, Daniel didn't want to eat the royal food because of the food laws, which were significant teachings to the Israelites. If you look at the first five books of the Bible, it is filled with instructions regarding commands and ceremonies and so what were the purpose 
of all of these instructions in the first five books of the Bible? The truth is, God didn't give food and ceremonial laws as the purpose to life. The purpose of the laws were to instill and insist on an exclusive relationship with one God, Yahweh, God of Israel. Let's look at the second relationship, Daniel's relationship with people. We'll start with Daniel's interaction with the chief official and the guard. Verse 9 says that God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Now, Daniel, being a good Israelite man, asked for permission not to defile himself with the food and wine. And even though the chief and Daniel, they were in good relationship, the chief had some of his own concerns. And they were legitimate concerns. Uh, his head could be chopped right off. That's legitimate. So what should Daniel do? Deny the food and risk the life of the guards? Or eat the royal food and turn his back on traditions? Let's see what happens in verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearances with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. So what does Daniel end up doing? He negotiates with the guard. That was a bold move for a slave. Daniel says, let's try this. For 10 days, give us only veggies and water, and then compare us to the other men who are eating the king's food. And at the end, you can make the final decision based on what you see. So how does the guard respond? The guard actually agrees. Daniel chooses relationship with God and relationship with people. I also want to highlight another relationship that is present but unspoken. And that is Daniel's relationship with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also Israelite men. Each of them knew and understood the instructions of food and preparation laws as young Israelites. But what rights do slaves have in another country and with a different king? With Daniel as their spokesperson, all the young Israelites were in agreement, took a risk, and kept their relationship with God. 
by negotiating a diet of vegetables and water. Let's read the rest of this chapter. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Not only did Daniel and his friends live, but they also looked healthier than any other young men who ate the royal food. And also just note, not only did God give the favor to the garden chief, but after the three years of training, Daniel and his friends received the favor of King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, Daniel could have prioritized his need to follow traditions. As an Israelite, Daniel could have rebelled or manipulated his way with the guards. But he didn't. Why? Because Daniel prioritized his need to be in right relationship over his need to be right. Remember, God gave food and ceremonial laws, but not as the purpose of life. The purpose was to nurture a trusting and loving relationship with God. If there is one thing I want you to remember today, it's this. Being in right relationship is more important than being right. So, what does right relationship with God and others look like for you? In the past five weeks, we've quoted many times that you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. We also learned five different skills from the Emotionally Healthy Relationship curriculum. They were the community temperature reading, stop mind reading and clarify expectations, explore the iceberg, listen incarnationally, and climb the ladder of integrity. Today, we're going to learn the fight cleanly skill. But before I share the skill of fight cleanly, I want to get some realistic expectations for this skill. First, we must understand that conflict happens on a spectrum, meaning conflict can be about taking out the trash, which we all seem to jive with, or an entire church split. Next, think of this skill fight cleanly as a beginner's conflict resolution tool, meaning this tool is not addressing large and long-standing conflict. Lastly, keep in mind that fighting clean builds, all, builds on all the other skills that I just named and we've covered 
in the EHR series. So let me ask you, how good are you at the other skills? Have you been practicing them? And are you getting comfortable with them? Just this week, I practiced an assumption I had. It was very scary, but rewarding. These skills build and help one another. The purpose of the fight cleanly skill is to resolve conflict as emotionally mature adults by eliminating dirty fighting and taking responsibility for a difficult issue. Jesus modeled true peacemaking and conflict was a part of his life and ministry. He brought disruption in order to bring true peace. He did not avoid conflict or appease people. He didn't ignore tension or differences. The key principle to fight cleanly is this. True peace will never come by pretending that what is wrong is right. In other words, true peacemakers love God and others enough to disrupt false peace. We think, that full, we think that peacemaking is avoiding conflict at all costs so that nobody gets upset. We think we're supposed to be nice so that we say nothing um, that can end up um, causing some tension, causing conflict. But what this is, is false peace. For this reason... Fighting clean is a core discipleship issue for all of us and for all generations. It is also important that we look for ways we do dirty fighting. I'm going to show a list of dirty fighting tactics. It's going to be on the screen and it's in the back of your bulletin. Give yourself a little check mark next to the the ones that apply to you. Maybe it's the silent treatment, criticizing or yelling, or like me, lecturing, blaming, condescension, Put a little check mark that applies to you, not a friend or a family member. The truth is, a clean fight isn't a fight, but an agreement between two people for the sake of the relationship. Let me say that again. A clean fight isn't a fight but an agreement between two people for the sake of the relationship. The person asking for the fight recognizes that it's their issue and they care enough to take responsibility for something important to them rather than blaming the other person. The person listening to the issue 
cares enough to consider what is important to someone they care about. And they are willing to negotiate. So, are you ready to learn the eight steps to a clean fight? Let's look. There's also a printout in your bulletin, so you can follow along there or on the screen. Step one, ask for permission, which is something I don't think about. You're going to state the problem after you ask for permission, and you're going to literally start with these words, I notice, and then fill in the blanks with what you notice. Step two, state why it's important to you. You can literally say, I value, and then state what you value. Step three, fill in the following sentence. Do not deviate. Literally follow the script. When you blank, I feel blank. And use a feeling word. I feel humiliated, inadequate, dumb. Step four, state your request clearly, respectfully, and specifically. You could literally start with, I'd like to ask that, and then express what it is. Step five, as the listener, you're going to consider the request. And then in a few sentences, share your feelings and perspective about what you just heard. You can say, what I heard you say is, and if you don't know what to say, you can literally use the exact words the speaker used. Step six. Then as the speaker, you will agree to the request or offer, offer an, an alternative. And then the listener gets to respond. Step seven, together write an agreement. The speaker is going to share their understanding of the written agreement. And then the listener gets to share their understanding of the agreement. And then step eight, review the agreement in two or four weeks. Kong and I budget every month. If we could take 15 minutes to sit down and budget and agree on a budget, certainly we can agree on conflict and how to resolve it how to agree on how we do conflict. We're actually going to watch a video. I'm not going to ask you all to do these eight steps. This video is a fighting clean video of Jessica and her mom, real life mother and daughter. Jessica has returned from living on campus. She's 22 years old, and she's experiencing tension with her mom because of all the advice her mom keeps giving her. As we watch, look for the eight steps of fighting clean.
Mom, are you willing to do a clean fight with me? Of course, Jessica. So I've noticed that ever since I've come home from college, you've been regularly giving me advice when I'm leaving the house, like make sure you come home early, you have work tomorrow, or uh, make sure you park in a safe and lit area of a parking lot, or even letting me know to grab a jacket because it's cold outside. Wow, so you've noticed that ever since you came home from college that I've been giving you all kinds of advice mm -hmm. that you haven't asked for. Mm -hmm. This is important to me because I value our relationship and I wanna be honest with you. I wanna be honest rather than going upstairs to my room or being frustrated and leaving the house. So this is really, really important to you because you value our relationship together um, and you'd rather address this now mm -hmm. instead of avoiding it. Yeah. I really value having that adult-to-adult -adult relationship rather than having an adult-to-child relationship. So you feel that um, it's important to you to have an adult-to-adult -adult relationship with mm -hmm. me rather than an adult-to-child. Yeah. When you give me advice that I don't ask for, it annoys me. But I know that I'm only annoyed because I'm hurt. So when I give you advice that you didn't ask for, mm -hmm. you really hurt. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm only hurt because I feel like I'm a young, responsible lady who has graduated college, lived on her own for four years, and went straight into a full-time job. I think I'm pretty trustworthy. So you really have proven yourself to be trustworthy by being in college and coming home and having a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've also realized that I'm disappointed in the way I react when you do give me this advice by acting like a child. So sometimes you feel disappointed at how you react to what I tell you mm -hmm. um, and you feel that it's kind of childish. Yeah. Um, but I love you and Dad, and I really appreciate you both. I fear that if we don't talk about you giving me advice when I don't ask for it, I won't want to be home and I'll either stay upstairs or stay out later. You really value being at home with your dad and I. Um, but the situation, if it doesn't change, sometimes you feel like you don't even want to be here. Mm -hmm. So here's my request. Mm. I would like to ask that you not give me advice while I'm leaving the house or even if I don't ask for it. And when you do have advice to give me, I would also like to ask that we set up a time so that we could sit down and talk about those concerns. So your quest is um, that I not give you advice uh, when you're running out of the house mm -hmm. or not give you advice when you don't ask for it mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And if I do have advice to share with you that we set up a mutual time where we can sit down together and talk about it. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that? Wow, Jessica, I had no idea that this was hurting you so much. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a really rough neighborhood in the city, mm -hmm. and I saw a lot of dangerous things. And I think part of that is why I want to protect you from that now. Mm -hmm. It's part of my motherly instinct mm -hmm. for the past 23 years. So about my request, are you willing to do half, whole, or none? Yeah, I, I'm willing to do all of it, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna slip. 
And when that happens, I'm gonna ask if you could give me a gentle reminder mm -hmm. um, to put me back on track, especially when you feel that I've crossed over your adult boundaries. Okay, um, so if you do slip and you give me advice, I can signal you with a word. And I'll signal you with the words comprende or gotcha to let you know that you've crossed the boundary. I think that'll work. Yeah. So let's sit down and write an agreement to review on June 15th. All right. So why don't we do that June 15th right after dinner? Perfect. Thanks. Many of us believe that conflict is a sign that something is going wrong. But it may actually indicate that something is going right. And that's because conflict is normal and necessary, especially if relationships are to enter into their next level of growth. Pete Scazzaro says that 96% of arguments are determined in the first three minutes of a conversation. So you want to be careful in how you start a conversation. And if you need to start over, just do it. Ask for permission to start over. But what if you found yourself in a fight that is complex and requires significant skills to unpack? When that happens, you will want to speak with a mature mentor, pastor, or a professional counselor. Because conflict and fighting clean are significant moments for our discipleship in Christ. As you do the courageous work of fighting clean, expect God to mold you in new ways into the image of his son, Jesus. Remember when we started off reading Daniel chapter 1? What's the connection between Daniel and the fight cleanly skill? They both prioritize relationship with God and others over the desire to be right. Now it's your turn to share. I have three questions to dis that you can discuss at your table. They're also in your bulletin or on the screen. And for online folks, you can chat among the people at home or join the Zoom call. You're going to take 15 minutes to share your thoughts with one another. Make sure to use I statements. And then what people share at the table Observe confidentiality. Go ahead and use up this time. All right, go ahead and wrap up your final thoughts. Wrap up your sentence. 
Welcome back. Thank you for your courage and sharing at your tables. If there's one thing I want you to remember today, it's this. Being in right relationship is more important than being right. Imagine if we all strived for a right and loving relationship instead of being right. Imagine how healthy our families, the church, and community would be if our loving relationship with God was reflected in our relationships with people. We have learned about emotionally healthy relationships for the past six weeks. What's the big takeaway from this series? It's that this kind of discipleship radically transforms relationships. Emotionally healthy relationships helps us to do the second greatest thing God has called us to do. Love others. May God be with you as you practice these skills in your life with God and with people.